So welcome to another episode of Northwest Five Podcast with myself, Zach Giorgio, and my co-host, John Cleary. Hello. Uh, today we've got the pleasure of having Kate Wood on with us, um, who is also representing Women in Tech, and she's going to tell us a lot about her story and what she's gone through and what she's done and stuff like that. It's a great pleasure, by the way, because I've known Kate since I was very little. We went to school together, got a long history and relationship of knowing each other and having good laughs. So to actually be talking to you in this tech world and tech scene is like really different than seeing you in the White Hart pub in Cheadle, for those that know it. (laughs) So um, without further ado, Kate, hi. Oh, hi, Zach. Thank you for having me. Thank you, John. Kate. Interesting story. I've known you for a long time. I know you were at Chess, but let's just talk a little bit about, tell us about yourself, tell us about your journey, your professional history, and how you've ended up getting to Pockets Consultancy and, and, and what happened before. All right. Oh, well, thanks. That. Thanks for having me. So as you know, um, well, I don't know if you, if you do know or not, but I left school when I was 16. Um, I got thrown out of home when I was 16 and I soon managed to get pregnant as a teenager. So when all my mates, like, you know, my mates, when they were going off to university and having really good careers, you know, in office jobs, I was doing cleaning, waitressing. My life was quite different. And I honestly thought and I've said this so many times I never thought I'd have like a career you know what people think of like a proper career anyway for years I did these jobs with TGI Fridays you know all of that kind of thing and then about 10 12 years ago I was absolutely I'll just be honest I was sick of being skin I was so sick of being skin I had two teenagers my broadband was getting cut off halfway through the month do you know what I mean and all the time when I was working as a waitress, people were saying, oh, you'd be good at sales. And I just thought they were like, I don't know, trying to chat with your pause a bit. And people saying, oh, you'd be good at sales, you'd be good at sales. So I put on Facebook, uh, does anyone know of any sales jobs? Somebody who I went to primary school with, Andy Green, said, yeah, why don't you come and try and apply at chess? And I thought, I have not got a clue about selling technology. I've not got a bloody clue. So when, luckily for me, and this is a key part of my story, that chess recruited on attitude and energy. So at this point, they were a telecoms business in Alderley Edge, all in one office. And they weren't really asked what you'd done before. So they couldn't care less that I'd worked at TGI Fridays. And so I got a job and I got in there and started selling technology. And on the first day, I thought, I'll have a look who was winning salesperson of the month, a man called Matthew Parks. And I thought, all I'm going to do is copy what he did. My goal was like to win salesperson of the month. People talk about imposter syndrome and I was absolutely terrified. I kept my job at the airport for the first month and I used to lie to Chess saying um, I had two months notice, as if I did. You know, like making out I was running the airport or something. (laughs) And I'd go to the airport at five in the morning, work in the executive lounge, serving like United, but also like couples who were going from Burnley, going on the first time abroad and all that. Um, And I would then go to Chess I worked my head off. I worked so hard. I learned everything I could about technology. And after three months, I was salesperson of the month. And it was like, they would have been right to recruit me on attitude and energy. By then, I could pay for my broadband. We had broadband for the full month then. (laughs) And what was really lucky, and I believe that a lot, I don't know, because you're a business owner, I don't know what you think about timing and stuff. I think for me, a lot is about timing in life. Like, I thought I'd missed out on a career. And, you know, I joke about it now, but that would have been really hard times for me. 
And as I was like on my growth journey, luckily for me, Chess were as well. And they were a telecoms business in Alderley Edge and they needed to grow, they needed to evolve and go from being old world telco to this new world digital ICT business. And they needed someone to integrate their acquisitions, right? I'd only been to London about three times in my life. And so they said, I put my hand up and said, I can do that. I'll do that. Didn't have a bloody clue. Can't drive. I thought if I get to go to London for a night and going on a train to Glasgow and all that, I'll absolutely love it. So I put my hand up, got involved in acquisition integration and actually integrating, you can imagine turning up in Glasgow to a business that's just been bought, didn't have a clue uh, and integrating them. And what I did over the next few years with the team was helped the business grow from 60 people who all knew each other in that jewel of Cheshire in Alderley Edge going gusto for the lunch. <laughs> so this like business of seven sites across the whole country, um, you know, real new world, different innovation, you know. Uh, and my goal within that was to be the number one company to work for. And so when I took over the job and we were 63, they were like, oh, 63 is great. And I was like, can I swear? I was like, 63 is shit, 63. Nobody wants to be 63rd in any list, do they? You just don't, do you? So I really, really then was like, went on a bit of a mission saying we can do better than this and know that everything that we do is a business and we really care about people and it's so important and know that we can get higher up in the list and if that's how we're benchmarking people, let's go for it. So they let me go to the award ceremony. I was like if we've gone down in the list I'm gonna lose my job and that year 2015 we went to third in the list and I was like this is it, this is it. and then the next year we went to second and I was like I'm on a roll here it was so hard but everything we were doing we were growing we we're evolving people were learning 2017 we were second again and like the Sunday Times top 100 is such a big thing isn't it and we went, went to second and that was disappointing and then in 2018 we were first you know, and our people were so proud. It was such a big moment, you know, that you can evolve a business, you can grow, you can change, you know, you can pivot from what you've been doing, which is offering landlines and broadband into being a real digital solution provider. So I was really, really proud of what we'd achieved as a business. And it was great to see how our people were proud. And then last year, I decided I was just ready for a new challenge. And that's how I got to Pockets Consultancy. That was a long, a long answer, wasn't it? Oh, that's a great <laughs> answer. answer. It's a great answer. Yeah, amazing, absolutely amazing. And uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm keen to maybe just touch on a couple of those points there because it really is, it's a fascinating story. And obviously, like you know, I, I, I know you, so I know your background and stuff like that. And you know, I was one of those people that was turning up at CGI Fridays, wasn't I? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but before we then move on to pocket and talk about other stuff. Whilst it's a fascinating journey, there's a couple of key points that I took from that. And that was, you know, maybe it's something that you can share with other people. You clearly took yourself out of the comfort zone. Yeah. You know, you clearly uh, pushed the boundaries. You know, you clearly were somebody who wasn't settled for, for second after being at 63. And the points that you make of no one wants to be 63, you're absolutely spot on. But you know something? Most people are really, really tough to even be on that list. Never mind. Be, be, be first. So what do you feel that you could offer to, to anybody in, in any sort of business in the Northwest that are feeling that way, you know, are feeling that, you know, we need to change, we need to pivot, we need to do something different. You know, 
how do you as, as inspire other people to take themselves out of the comfort zone? Um, what what advice would you give somebody? So I think I'll say, I'll say any, on an individual basis first, and then I'll say as a company. So what I did was, when I had those jobs as being a cleaner, and when I was a waitress, what I did was, I would always throw myself in. So I talk about like the hokey-cokey, you can't get your whole self in out unless you throw your whole self in and it sounds proper cheesy but when I was a cleaner I didn't just turn up and think I've got a rubbish job where I'm getting minimum wage I used to time myself to see if I could do one room quicker than the next room I was continually learning when I worked in TJ Friday and I worked there for seven years and people would have thought oh that's a bit of a waste you know you've probably learned nothing what I used to do was I used to not write my orders down so if you came and got the wrong order that probably was my fault but I used to then train my brain. So I would learn, I knew my orders off my heart and then I'd walk to the till and implement them. And, you know, it sounds a bit of a really braggy thing to say, but I get paid thousands of pounds now to talk um, at corporate events. And I've done it across the world because I can remember my speeches. So hopefully you're going to pay thousands of pounds. But I learned that through being a waitress because I learned that through remembering people wanting burgers and fries. So for me as an individual, to push yourself out of your comfort zone, you have to take something from every single thing that you do, even if it's something that you don't want to do. You know, and that's what sets people apart. It is that attitude and energy. There'll be people who are still doing those minimum wage jobs who have got better qualifications than me, had a better start in life. Do you know what I mean? But it's the attitude, that's what takes you there. And so I, I then um, sort of amplified that to an organization as well. If you're an organization that wants to grow, that wants to change, you have to be prepared to take feedback. So my first point for any business in the Northwest is if you want to evolve either product-wise or culture-wise, you need to get feedback from your people, from your customers, and you need to listen. That's brilliant. I, I, you, I, you're just thinking about your time at TGI Fridays and trying to memorize those lists. It just made me laugh because I've been in restaurants and people have done that. And I'm always like, why are you not writing this down? I, I don't hope because I'm terrified we're all going to get the wrong order. I'm just going, and two of those, and one of those, and all go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, you're not going to remember this, are you? But they do. So well done. So you're not the only one who's doing it. But it's well done. It's, I just love the way you've yeah. taken the fact that you've got a job, as you said, a minimum wage job where you're really unexpected to show up and smile. And you've really thrown yourself into it and taken something out of it. And that's, Obviously, that's a lesson everyone can learn. We've all got probably parts of our jobs that we, we don't love. And uh, actually doing, doing something like how quickly can I do it, how well can I do it, or whatever. It's just, it's just fabulous. So <laughs> I'm really curious, and presumably this is the secret sauce, but how did you get a company from 63 to second and then first? So we were absolutely rigorous in our communication Right. So what Chess did, and I don't take any credit for this because they already had it before I started, was they had a blueprint that documented their vision and values. All right. So no matter who you were in that business, whatever job you were doing, you knew what the vision of the organization was. OK. And you knew that everything you were doing in your role, how that would guide, you know, how that would complement the company in achieving what their vision was, was to be a great place to work and a great place to be a customer. Dead simple, that's all it was. But you shouldn't have been doing anything in that business if it was not gonna help you achieve that vision. And so many companies I work with, um, I'll say, have you got a vision and values? Yeah, what is it? 
oh well you know uh and and they'll and they'll stutter over it and they won't know it and they won't have documented it and then sometimes what i'll do is and i'll even do this when i do uh, workshops with senior leaders is i'll say what's the vision and values of the business and i'll test them on it and if they don't know how the hell is anyone else going to know so it's got to be documented you've got to be rigorous there is nothing about greatness that comes by chance is there I love a sports documentary. I'm not sporting myself, obviously, but I love a sports documentary because it's the same. Winning is about rigor. It's about consistency. It's about doing the same things at the same time every single month. So we had a team of cultural ambassadors that worked for me, 60 across the whole group. And we did the same things every week, cultural communications. Every new starter that started, started in an induction. You know, there was a leadership academy and empowering women. Everybody had a monthly one-to-one. So it sounds like a cult and it won't be for everybody, but if you want consistency and you want change, it has to be rigorous. That's great. I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think so many businesses fall down because what happens is they launch uh, their values because that's the right thing to do in their culture. Yeah and they uh, live them and breathe them to start with, and they implement them across the business. And then what happens is, as other things get involved here, there, and everywhere, they then just become a picture on the wall. Yeah, that's it, that's exactly it. And I'm not gonna sit sit here and say that we haven't as a business, and in other businesses that I've been involved with, haven't done exactly the same thing. They just become sort of something that's, you know, like the, the family pictures that are on your wall that you walk past, but every now and again, you look at them and go, ah, oh, look at my little one, how cute she was when she was little. But that's it, then it's forgotten about. So, so uh, you know, I think for me, what I take from it is, obviously, like you talk about attitude, but it's, it's consistency. And consistency is absolutely key. And I think that's arguably something that we all need to learn from because that's how you do become successful, isn't it? You know, there's, there's normally not a massive recipe for lots of different things, is there? It's normally the same recipe. The problem is, is that what ends up happening is you just don't do it very often, you know, or don't even go back and look at it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, and, that's, and it's not easy, that's the thing. So I used to, every year, host the Chess Company Conference. And I'd always say it's a great place to work, right? But it's not an easy place to work because in order to be great, you've got to make really hard decisions. So if people aren't performing, I don't care if they've worked at the business for 10, 15 years. I'm not asked about that. We will give them training. We will help them. But if in your business, you've got people who aren't performing, get them out because the impact is going to be on your customer. You know, and that's it. You have to make those difficult decisions. It's easy, like you say, get some nice pretty pictures, put them on the wall and say we've got values. Uh, lots of companies, when we were number one, I'd, I'd go and speak to lots of big companies ac- across the country and they'd be like, look at our office, we've got this pool table, we've got this, we've got that. I'm like, that's not culture. Culture's not having a ping pong table or an office like Google or a bloody slide. It's not. It's communicating with consistency and doing it, isn't it? Yeah. I think it just reminds me of something the when you're saying about values like organizations start usually start small or quite embryonic like we'll just have a one or two things that you can everyone can really get their head around but then over time it's like well what are we doing about diversity and don't we care about this too and do we want and they tend to grow to like four or six and it gets to the point where you can't remember them you know and, and not and not everyone's going to be on board and I, it reminds me i i do a small amount of uh, cooking at home and i make salads 
you know, every time I make a salad, I have, have this kind of theory that every time I add an ingredient, I piss somebody off because I've added a tomato and he doesn't like tomatoes. And it's a bit like that with values. Like the more you put in, the more you're like, well, I'm not on board with that anymore. You know, and I think it's just keeping it really lean and knowing what, what your, as you say, your vision really is. And people are not really upfront about that, but I think, you, you, you know, what you did at chess was really cool because it's so simple. I can remember that now. And someone's going to ask me in six months time, I'll probably remember it because it's, it's quite catchy. It's like a great place to work and make it a great place for the, your, your people. This is not what every business should really want to be doing. Yeah. Um, so we've got loads of other stuff that we're going to talk about with you, Kate. However, I'm going to put you on the spot with a couple of little things. So what is your favourite Manchester band? <laughs> Stone Roses. Stone Roses. Although, <laughs> although, I was only saying last week, like, how much would you just love it if now Oasis did a gig? Like, I would live for that. I would just love that. But yeah, Stone Roses all day long. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Now you're a townie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite Manchester restaurant? In fact, I'll tell you what, I'll, 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 I'll extend that. What's your favourite restaurant, even including the suburbs? Well, that's a, that is a really hard question, isn't it? Because I feel like I've not been able to go and eat out for so long. <laughs> um, so let me think, where will I first want to go when everywhere opens up? Don't say TGI Fridays. Oh, get lost. No, no. <laughs> Dreadful waiting on staff there. Um, where would be my favourite? Do you know what? There's, um, I, know, and I can't remember what it's called now. There's a tapas restaurant on Chapel Street right around the corner from me because I live near Salford. Um, and it's, oh, what is it called now? I need to shout upstairs to my boyfriend to ask what it's called. <laughs> I'm doing a real disservice because I could, of all the millions of viewers you'll get on this podcast, it'd be free advertising. But it's the tapas restaurant, just dead local, low-key. That's where I'm going to go as soon as it opens up. Brilliant. So um, we've talked about the chess journey. We've talked about the journey you've gone on. And, and I, I genuinely, I'm humbled by it because I've known you for a very long time and I know what you... Uh, went through and all that type of stuff because we were uh, part of the same circle weren't we at that younger yeah, age definitely. um so pockets yeah what's it all about so after being director of culture at chess and I was just ready for to do something different I wanted a new challenge I really did and at chess we created um engage your people which was a software platform based on our methodology on this winning methodology that I'm talking about and created an app and me and three others at chess made that built it i'm not saying i did the coding i clearly didn't but <laughs> created that using microsoft technology at the heart of it and so i decided that i was going to leave chess and run that as a separate software startup right and do consultancy as well on the side because i love going into companies and helping them and um ran that for a year and as much as I absolutely loved the products and loved being like in a tech business, for me, I'll be honest, working in a startup, running developers and doing the financial side of it and everything, it just wasn't for me. And what I loved most about it was the consultancy going into businesses. So I wrote a plan for Chess to take back the software product into their product portfolio and they could continue to sell it. And um, and I just now work going freelance into businesses and I absolutely love it. I work mainly in the tech sector with smaller tech companies, you know, with what my learnings are. But then I've also got big customers like Michelin and we do ongoing work for and manage their cultural ambassador program. And, and it gives me the flexibility 
to focus on all the different areas like women in tech, I do some stuff for not-for-profits, Manchester Fashion Movement. It just gives me that time. I feel I'm at a time in my life where I don't want to be working like, you know, nine to five. Do you know what I mean? I want to work when I want to work. And that's what freelancing's given me. So what are those, what are the kind of problems those companies you're working with see? And does it vary from yeah. the small businesses to the, the yeah. big corporates? It does vary, but there's such a thread that runs through it all, which is communication. So every business um, that I work with, the key problem in some way or another is getting that communication right. So if you go from a larger business, it could be that the people don't understand the vision and values. They're not getting communicated to by the leadership team. You know, the people don't feel they have a voice, hence why I might help them, you know, with a cultural ambassador team you know, that kind of thing. And I'll help them run that and a cultural champions in there to get that voice out of the people back up to the leadership team. I'll run regular surveys for people to make sure that they're having that transparent feedback because so many companies, um, and it's a great example of one that I work with that I, that I love, they're a fantastic business. And they've done a lot of acquisitions. So I've been helping them with the acquisition integration because I've got a lot of experience in that. And they were like, um, oh, we don't think that will have any any bad feedback in the quarterly survey. You know, we, we were convinced that people are really happy, you know, and on the whole, people were really happy. But then, you know, you always get comments about, you know, they didn't feel like that maybe the well-being had been, uh, you know, thought of enough. So then what I can do is say, right, let's let's introduce these quick things. Nothing needs to be big or expensive. It's the small things that make a difference. So the next week, all we did was we sent out little wellbeing packages in the post to everybody. We started running Wellbeing Wednesdays. We started just really making sure that we were listening to people, understanding the challenges that they were facing working at home, you know, and then and then it really turned things around. And, that, and that's an example of how just getting that feedback and action in it really, really quickly can make a big difference. Yeah, and I suppose um, <clears throat> timing-wise um, with covid I would imagine there's been such a problem for so many businesses. I mean, we've adapted, haven't we? Let's face it, so many businesses have adapted, but it's took us well, it's took us nearly eight, nine months to adapt to getting that communication right. And, and even still now, it can be very, very difficult. So has that been a big thing for you because of the pandemic on, on how businesses you know, all of a sudden move from turning around to somebody and communicating something internally because we're having a meeting now to having to do it over teams and thinking this person's isolated. Okay, you've got the well-being element to it. But also there's the element where, you know, let's face it, 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 unless I'm missing something, it's a lot harder to communicate when you're looking at a screen than what it is when you're looking at somebody face-to-face. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, and it's funny that you should say that, actually, because obviously it was a year last week since we've been in lockdown. And I, I do some writing for Comms Dealer sometimes. And I, re- and I looked at a thing that I wrote this time last year for Comms Dealer. And everything that I'd written was about, it was about the team. It was about creating that team, you know, almost like taking the office environment and turning it virtual. So if you remember this time last year, there was all the virtual quizzes, virtual cocktail making. There was all of that, wasn't there? And when I think about what I'm writing now at this time this year, it's about focusing on that individual. Because what people have learned over those 12 months is they've navigated a way to work as a team. They've managed, like you say, to get around the fact 
whether it's having a virtual channel on teams that's like the kitchen channel because they were missing out on the chat that they'd have in the kitchens, whether it's having morning huddles or quizzes or photo competitions, people have naturally, as people do, worked out how to be a team. But what people still haven't worked out because it's really, really hard is how to manage it as an individual, working from home, juggling your family, juggling all of that ongoing anxiety that we have all the time of the lack of clarity and that we can't even get that certainty from the government. So we need it more than ever from the companies that we work for. Yeah, and I think we've, you know, to, to your point, Zach, like you say, we've, we've adapted. I think to some extent we have, but in no sense we've just adjusted to the change. We've got used to it, but I don't think we're yet comfortable in our skin because we've just got used to sitting in the same place and not, you know, not commuting like that. You know, I know I'm not walking as much and I don't feel as good because I'm not getting as much walking as I used to do when I used to jump on the train to go into town every day. So you've got to try and, I need to fix it. That needs fixing, right? You need it, but you can brush it under the carpet. And that's just one of many things that are going on in people's lives. They've got tons of things that we've just got accustomed to. And I think having a forum like surveys and, you know, you know, some formats where people can come and have a chat or a moan or whatever is really useful because, that, that's when somebody else says something and it reminds you that actually, yeah, I don't feel, I don't feel great sitting in this chair or whatever all the time. I want to, I want yeah. to come into the office once a week. And it's like you say, I think, you know, going back to, 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 to Kate's point, um, you know, it's this consistency in communication. Most of the, most of the challenges that any business faces is because they've not communicated something correctly. People feel like they've been miscommunicated to, even though, let's face it, any founder of any business does not really want to miscommunicate something. They don't. They don't. No. That's the fact. They don't. They want everyone to understand that they're only doing it for the best for, you know, obviously, invariably, it comes back up to them, but they're doing it for the best for the company. But it just does, you know. So, um, but before we shoot on to those of other points, I've got some more questions for you, Kate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, favourite bar in Manchester? Do you know what? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna just sound like I'm really old because I don't actually. I go out a lot, but I go out to eat more than just go out drinking. But I tell you what, I didn't used to like Dukes because I felt like oh, it's just full of loads of people. But just before it shut, um, you know, before the another lockdown, we went and just sat outside Dukes, and it does just remind you of what a nice place that we live in. And do you know what I mean? It's just it's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, that's only because you're only allowed to sit outside now, though, isn't it? <laughs> um favorite place to visit in manchester oh well i always say if they ever get married i'll get married at victoria baths because i just love it i absolutely love the building i love the stained glass i love the history but my absolute lockdown win and it's probably just saved my lockdown is peel park in salford i absolutely love it we walk there Every morning, we get up at five o'clock, walk around Peel Park for an hour and a half, walk back round into Manchester. There's the geese, there's everything I've seen. The seasons come and go, and Peel Park, for me, is like, yeah. Right, two final quick ones. Let's see if you're a true Northern girl. Vimto or Ribena? Vimto, obviously. (laughs) Hot Vimto, though, hot Vimto. (laughs) No, just quickly, one of the best things in my life is when I was a kid, my mum said, you can save up the Vimto tokens, you know, off the bottle. And I saved up and sent off and got this, like, it was really crap what I got. It was like this bird that was like a puppet. 
But just that sheer excitement of saving something up and then getting a letter in the post with it in, I still remember that joy now. 28 <laughs> days later, I used to collect the stuff off the cornflakes boxes. Do you remember that? And you cut them out and then send you a little car or something. And it would take you like three months to get enough of these boxes. And then you wait another month and you have to get a stamp because no one had a stamp. <laughs> it's just it's... yeah all your mum wants to do is be getting the own brand cornflakes doesn't she she don't want to buy because that car's cost about 17 quid hasn't it <laughs> <laughs> and then finally and i won't ask you another on the spot a pint or a mojito oh that's hard really It'd have to depend on the situation, either a pint of cider, I still like a cheeky pint of cider now and again, but probably a mojito, actually, yeah. yeah. Why, why not both, I would yeah, say. Probably, yeah. Especially if you're sitting outside. Yeah. yeah. I want, can I come back to the question about cons? Because um, I think it's really important. Well, you're saying it's really important. I also agree it's very important. Most businesses believe it to be important, but don't know how to do it well. Combination of over and under communicating. And it's changed now as well, isn't it? Like it was stuff that people missed out on because they weren't in the office one day, stuff that got communicated, you know, because you were sitting next to him, you overheard. That's gone, for better or for worse. And now it's all through digital channels for, for a lot of people. So it's, you know, do we have a daily catch-up, a Zoom call, um, you know, whatever, whatever. So what is there like a, is there a formula that you've kind of look at or can you look at a company's communication going, how are you communicating these messages? How are you communicating these messages? What do you do? So I think um, there is definitely formulas. So I, I say, do your communication. If it's going to be written, do it at the same time on the same day every week. Yeah. And try and mix that up as often as you can. So you're doing some video as well. Because not everybody likes reading long emails, do they? Keep things short, snappy and to the point and ask for feedback on your communication so I would say as well when you're if you're like now like everything's on video call well going to your point like people aren't getting out of the house so so move away from that for a bit and go out for a walk on the actual old-fashioned telephone you know and talk so it's about always always looking at it reviewing it and then changing it you know but it has to be done consistently some people will say like Oh yeah, well we, we I'd say do a do a monthly stand up at the start of the month so that you can publish your dates for the whole year and have things in people's calendar. I am obsessed with Office 365, Microsoft 365, and having everything in the calendar so that it's rigorous and people know what to expect. Okay, so have that. And I'll say to people, do you do an all company communication? And they'll be like, Well, yeah, yeah, we do, but we don't tend to do it religiously. We don't do it every week, we don't do it every month. And it was like, well. People don't know what to expect then. So they don't really buy into it, do they? Whereas, and then what people do is they fill in the gaps. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. then they, and then they start with Chinese whispers, don't they? And then when they do get called to a communi company communication, they think, oh, well, the company must be getting sold or something. So they spend the rest of the half of the day before chatting amongst each other, what do you think the company communication is going to be about? So it's that kind of thing. Yeah, I just, it, I'm just thinking now because I've, our, my business has changed. We were acquired recently and the company that acquired us, 360 Insights, I actually think they're doing a lot of the things that you're saying. So we have a culture ambassador team. But on the communication side, they have, we have a daily call. It's, it's yeah. 10, 10 minutes, you know, video call. It's optional. It's recorded. You can catch up the next day. Right. Um, every day it's a different topic. So it's Tech Tuesday on Wednesday. It's a senior leadership team. 
<coughs> giving you a weekly update of like sales that have happened or anything that's changed in the HR process. We get a, an email. They're pretty good on feedback as well. So they get, we have these surveys and I, I want to, I want to ask you a bit about surveys um, and they're short, which I think is one of the positives, because, you know, every time you add a question, you probably lose half the audience after replies. So they're good in that respect. I think it, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's still finding a balance because people are still missing things. But so I think two questions for you. One is a little bit about surveys, like what are your thoughts on that? And secondly, is like, is it good to, to communicate multiple different ways? So have that message going out in an email and then it's like, oh, if you missed or have it on a video, hey, if you missed the video, here's an email catch up. Is that if you, know, if you can afford the time? I think that's really good to use different ways of communicating because you'll catch people on different things. But I think for me, the best way that you can communicate is through, if you've got messages that need um, delivering, it's got to come from the leadership team. So, so, so many leadership teams, and I know now it has brought out a lot of empathy in leadership teams the, the, the past year, which has been great. But so many leadership teams would say, oh, well, there's been an email sent from the internal comms people, just read it. Or, oh, the HR team, did you not see the email? Whereas what was really good is, is to, like you say, when they sound like a fantastic company, John, is to, you've all had the email, let's discuss it in the morning meeting. You know, has anyone got any questions about it? You know, yeah. so that then you're backing it up, you know, and then, and then people have always got that chance then to ask that question and they know that they can ask about it. Yeah, actually. And so what about service? Are we doing, you know, what's your thoughts on service? Is that the best way to get feedback or is it in like a, a chat, you know, conversational I think, format? I think, you do, I think you do a mix of things. So I think I like the ad, I like things like cultural ambassador teams and, and I really like monthly one-to-ones where you're doing that face-to-face. -face. But I think on the whole, to get, to, to get widespread feedback, you know, to get loads of ideas, to get that cognitive diversity, a survey is a good way to do it. And you're right, keep it short, keep it structured, keep it regular. And I, and I like that. Well, I mean, I've loved this episode so far because it, it's, it's something that we've not really massively touched on before. We've talked a lot about sort of comms and how we've got there and yeah. your, your attitude and, and the consistency and all the things that you've done over time. And it's really, really um, sort of um, great for our listeners to hear that. If we start thinking about the women in tech and how you got involved in that, I think that's probably quite a good juncture to sort of look at that now and see how you feel that, you know, tech, obviously we know what Andy Burnham wants Manchester be, to be. Uh, we've talked about it with, with some other guests as well. How did you get involved in women in tech? Where do you think the tech scene is? What do you think is going on? You know, what challenges are we going to face? Just give us a bit of a view for, you know, potentially, you know, anybody that's listening for that matter. So how I got involved with women in tech is, as I started to progress at Chess, you know, like I was always the only woman on the sales team. Then I was the only woman often as a director in a senior role. A lot of the time I'd go to the away days and I'd be the only woman. And we all know, and I think it's around 16% at the minute, women within tech roles within the industry. And so I am... Um, how I got really, really involved was I was speaking at some of the tech events and then um, they asked me to speak at the um, Microsoft Partner Conference in Las Vegas at the Women in Tech lunch. 
And um, it was really, I didn't really realize that it was a big deal. They were like, do you want to, would you want to speak? And I was like, oh yeah, I just want to go to Vegas. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm absolutely dedicated to diversity. Thinking, a holiday. <laughs> um, so uh, I, so I went there and I was, I'd already been a bit involved, but I went there, spoke at the Women in Tech um, lunch, same event as Satya Nadella, you know, thousand people in the audience. And through that, through that one event, I just started getting such a great network through the Women in Tech Network. Absolutely loved it. New people across the world and really started to see that there were so many people in businesses who were struggling because they're only female in their team so many people and not only the facts that you see that the businesses are struggling because there's a lack of cognitive diversity in those decision making rooms which is massive for businesses that are designing products and they're not asking women for their impact businesses that are making big decisions and they're not getting diversity in the into those conversations and I saw that a real problem was around confidence and I probably come across dead confident on this call, but you know, no one's dead confident all the time, are they? So I've got more involved with women in tech. I run, I head up the board for the UK now. I run monthly mentor circles for the Women in Tech Network. Um, I'm obviously um, heavily involved in, you know, one of the leaders of the Women in Tech North as well, which really focuses like in on the Northwest in Manchester. And the, and the network is just built and built and built. And it is not just about women. You know, I'm a real, real against all female events. I really don't like that. I really challenge that. I don't want to be on all female panels, you know, and I've challenged some big things in a way, getting men on panels at Women in Tech events because we need every single person to be part of that conversation. And when you talk about Manchester, I did a project last year for the Greater Manchester Combined Authority and Manchester Digital about the skills gap in Manchester. The opportunity that we're sitting on in Manchester is absolutely massive. The tech business is growing, even how buoyant it is within this past year. There is so there's such a skills shortage. And I go into schools and I talk about it because people don't understand what those roles can be. People think if you want to work in tech, You've got to be a coder or an engineer, you know, and that doesn't appeal, does it? You know, no. to some people, right to you, John, but it doesn't to everybody, does it? So it's really, for me, is about getting to see, and I always say this, whatever your background, whatever your life has been like, there will be an opportunity for you in a tech business. And for a lot of people, that's a global opportunity, isn't it? The opportunities in tech are absolutely endless. And I talk to kids about that. You know, you go into schools and there's so much pressure to know what you want to do, isn't there? What GCSEs you want to take, what A-levels you want to take. You know, if you don't know, but then you're, you're good at chatting, you can get a job in a tech company. If you're interested in new products, in solving problems, you can get a job in a tech company. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think one point that I really want to go back over, and I think you're really absolutely right about it, is that, tech jobs there's a kind of this thought that it's for coders and it really isn't it's definitely a, you know it's one area where there's shortage right but it's only one of so many you know we need everything from product owners as you say and project managers and testers and ui and ux and designers it's huge and there's gaps in every space and 
you know, let's be honest, it's reasonably well-paid work. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's good work, it's enjoyable and it's challenging and it's ever-changing. And I think getting that message across. And the other thing I wanted to bring up was, in talk, you're talking about, and it's, you know, it's quite a serious point about women being, feeling that, you know, you might be the only woman at a director event or at a, a tech event. And I don't think it really, you know, I sort of nod and listen and go, yeah, that must feel awkward or that might make you feel uncomfortable at times. But uh, until I went to the women's tech event where I was one of about three guys there and you just go oh I actually feel really I'm really imposter syndrome what might what if they ask me something about diversity and I don't have the answer and it's like there's no right answer it's just talk just talk, have a chat but you just feel like I've got to put my foot in it here and I'm going to make an absolute mess of this um and say the absolute wrong thing and you know it's kind of that can be a bit scary and I think it's and one so one thing they asked people to do pledges didn't they yeah. And I pledge to try and get more people down to the more men down in particular to that event. So, so they can have the experience that I had. Um, and I didn't. So I've let, I've let myself and women take that in that respect. But then the pandemic came along. We are where we are. But I want to, you know, I do think that's that is a really good thing to be able to try and do is get, get more men coming to those events. Let everyone see and, and hear the, the comments and the things that have been brought up and the concerns people have. Like, you're yeah. an ally. That's that's what we would call you, John. Is you're an ally, you know. And we all need to be allies to everybody to get truly diverse businesses, don't we? But you, you you're right. And we're running an event in May, actually, and I'll and I'll send you the the information. We're running it with the Women in Tech Network, Richard Ellis, who's senior at Microsoft, is running it for us. And it's all about how do we get men so they feel comfortable in that situation. Because that's the thing, people don't know what to say, do they? And we saw it this year with Black Lives Matter, didn't we? People in businesses suddenly realising that actually they hadn't considered the black colleagues and yet they didn't know how to open up that conversation because they were so scared of saying the wrong thing. You know, so they just said nothing at all. And and so any any diversity, anything that you're talking around, around inclusion, there's going to be those uncomfortable situations but it's about creating an environment of what we would call psychological safety so that you can suggest things and you can say things and you can feel safe. Like, I hope you felt safe that if you'd have said something wrong at that event that you thought was wrong, we wouldn't, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have been judged, you know. And then that, that allowed you to be able to talk and answer questions. But people, if they don't feel safe in their environment for whatever reason, you can't even open those conversations that are going to change the industry. Yeah. Well, what do you think companies should do? Like if you had the magic wand and you could go to a business and say, hey, every company, this, this is one thing that you can do to improve diversity in your business and in our industry as a whole, because, you know, you threw out a number there at the start. We, are, yeah. we have a lot of, we have a long way to go. Yeah, so dead basic first, and it's free for every single person to do is change the way that you recruit. So look at your job specs. Yeah, look at your job specs. Look at the language that you use. Why can't every single job be a job share? Because obviously that will appeal to women who, whether we like it or not, are still the primary carers. I've really gone through this at different companies to say, why have you got that language on your job spec? Why have you got that language on your website? Who are you appealing to? Who's doing the interviews? Are the women even getting in there? And I don't believe in quotas. You know, I want the right people in the right jobs. So I'll say that. But if you've got senior women in your business, right, get them on the website, get them out talking. Because what happens is, obviously, that age-old phrase, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So I know there's some fast, fantastic big channel businesses 
that I work with or, you know, and, and, and I'll have meetings with them about women in technology. And I'll be like, but I know all this stuff you're doing, but not one place is it mentioned on your website. So no one else knows. It's like the biggest kept secret. But if you can start to change that language and you can start to change the way that you recruit, yeah, flexible working, which obviously now everyone's talking about. Two years ago, if you just said to someone, you're going to make your whole workforce work from home, they'd have, they'd have bloody collapsed, wouldn't they? <laughs> and I also introduced things like parent champions so that when you've got people in your business, both men and women, make sure that they're supported. So, so yeah, so, so in regards to diversity, like you say, Kate, it's great that you've got lots of different brains that are sort of adding impacts and stuff like that into your business. And I think it's really interesting. But, you know, you mentioned about the remote working, you know, most, most companies would have had a coronary, wouldn't we? <laughs> no, remote working, how does that work? What are they doing? What are they up to and stuff like that? And we have, we've adapted and, we, and we've diversified because we've had to, you know. And I think what's interesting for me is, the bits that you're sort of saying, I think will actually take a bigger lead now because it's like everything. We talked about it right at the start. You took yourself out of your comfort zone to do what you, you did. Businesses were taken out of their comfort zone without them wanting to. Yeah. And I think ultimately moving forward, we're all starting to get our heads around it. You know, we, 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 we've looked at it. We're now talking about the, 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 the conversation that we've had on numerous weeks, John, about blended working bit from home bit in the office and stuff like that hybrid <clears throat> I think before there was I, th I couldn't agree with you more and I think it's quite an interesting one this because until you have children you don't really get your head around it but I think first of all when you've not had children it's very much like well why can't you come to work at half eight every single day that's our static time How, what, what's that all about you know because you're so used to it the minute you have children you start realizing no um well hang on a minute if we're both going to be working one of us has got to drop at a certain time and you are basically really you are driven by what can happen and i've noticed even within um myself we used to have after school club which was on until six o'clock now it's on until quarter past five well somebody's got to be home at quarter past five to pick the kids up because you can't leave them whereas before we also relied on grandparents and we also relied on other people we can't even rely upon that anymore because we can't do that. So, so I think it's almost been circumstances has put us in this position. What's interesting for me, though, do you think that business will continue on this trajectory or do you think old habits will come back? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? I think it's, it's easy, isn't it, for people to say now that they're going to continue with it. But so many businesses saying, no, we'll all get in the office as soon as we can. But I don't know if you read the report from Microsoft last week about hybrid working. 46% 40, of people are considering looking for a new role because now they can work remotely from other places. 40% of people are saying they're planning to look at a new role. So I think that the market will demand that that the people keep flexible because otherwise they'll lose the best people. Well, I think it's an interesting point. And we've been seeing just lately, I mean, obviously we talked very a little bit about what we're sat on with regards to the tech boom in Manchester, just, you know, you mentioned it yourself, but you know, it's, it's, it's such a huge potential. But what I've noticed um, 
is particularly in the software development space, which we all know is, 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 is arguably always been the biggest challenge. But I've noticed that Manchester-based developers are getting targeted by London-based businesses because now they can work remotely. A London-based business that was paying somebody 80K for argument's sake because they were coming into the office can offer a Manchester-based guy 65K rather than the 50K they're being paid here. And it's providing an additional challenge. You know, you've had Brexit come on, you've had COVID come on, you've had loads of different insecurities happen, which has meant that software developers were already being challenged. They were being challenged before we had the problems anyway, you know, three or four years ago. To layer that on top, you know, we saw the London-based businesses move north to be able to get talent at a cheaper price. Now they're going... We don't yeah. have to move if we don't want to. We can do if we want to, but if we don't want to, we don't have to. We'll just get a few developers working remotely and pay them 10 grand more or 15 grand more. So yeah. there's just going to be some seismic shifts at certain times in regards to the market, certainly for me, over the next couple of years as well. Um, it's exciting that digital transformation just rolled out, didn't it? You know, people had chatting about it and they just had to crack on with it. Yeah, I know, I know. global digital transformation in 12 months. I mean, that's pretty good going. Well, yeah. I've seen companies that have taken two, three years and they're only halfway through it. Yeah. Well, to be fair, let's hope so, considering they were able to produce a vaccine in about two days and roll it out within, <laughs> within nine months or whatever it was. What if you watched that program? It's fascinating. Although saying that, I'm sure this time last year when we were in lockdown, it was far sunnier than what it is at the moment. Uh, it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> going to snow on Monday. <laughs> Don't say that. Um, <laughs> I think we're coming towards the end of, 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 of our um, session. And honestly, for me, it's been an absolute pleasure, um, you know, talking to you. You know, it's a very different position because I've known you for such a long time. It's an inspirational story in relation to the fact that you took yourself out of your comfort zone, you know, and I, I don't, you probably don't even remember. Well, maybe you do remember. I remember visiting you when you had the first the, the, yeah, little one. You know, Um, so and obviously over the numerous years of where I lived and coming into TGIs and all that type of stuff. So it's it's amazing what you've done and how you've got evolved and and how you've gone to where you've got to. So thank you for sharing that with us. It's been really great. Um, Before we finish off, John. Anything that you want to want to add to to it? I, I do want to ask one more question. Did it feel like we didn't quite get to it? So we, I thought you did something very important point about the first thing, some of the first things we can do to make the jobs more accessible um, yeah. to women and you know to a more diverse audience, and that's about even the simple things like changing your job specs and you know taking some of those those essential things down the list to the nice to haves because honestly you should be hiring for the person rather than this yeah. tick list of stuff and you're putting people off and I, I think that's really important and I can't say that enough but the one thing that we the pushback we get um sometimes is that oh well we can't have a diverse role because we're just not getting people applying for the roles and obviously the spec helps that but they're not coming up through the ranks and so I want to go back to source and say what's happening at school levels yeah. you know what what should the government be doing and you know in their absence uh you know what can companies like Microsoft and you know, um, you know, the big consultancy firms be doing now to, to get into schools and to tell people who are not correctly uh, representing the tech for workforce, these are the kind of jobs you could be doing. These are fun. These are exciting. Wouldn't you like to be doing some of that? So the, how does that, you know, what do you think about that? Can we be getting on with that? Like 
great way to end because this is something I'm really, really passionate about talking about. Again, I'm running an event on it and I'll invite you all. Greater Manchester Combined Authority are running something that's fantastic, which is about workplace shadowing, right? So when we were at schools, that you probably, I did, went for two weeks work experience in a company. Do you know what I mean? I went to Stanleyland's Hotel, I can remember it dead clearly. Didn't really give me much of a, an understanding of really what the world of work was like. And obviously with COVID and stuff, the world's changed and you can't really even have work experience kids in. But what workplace shadowing does, it's fantastic is it just gives kids that accessible, that snapshot of what it's like to be in a business so they can get a little bit of an understanding without going in for two weeks, getting bored and ending up doing some filing for someone, you know, and doing the shredding. They can actually understand what it's like to work in a business. So workplace shadowing, I would say to anybody in the Manchester area, get on the GM, uh, Greater Manchester Command Authority webpage and get on it. And try and get involved with that so that we can really inspire the next generation, not just for our businesses, but for that next generation so that they can understand. The second thing I would say is I'm part of something called State Talking, which is just free. I do like I did a talk at St. James's School last week, which is about being relatable. Get yourselves on there, you know, get into schools like you spoke at our Women in Tech event. Get speaking to people, you know, it, it's it's they need people that they can relate to. You know, we're old, but we're not that old. Do you know what I mean? So they get in there and get to, get infusing about your industry. Do you know what I mean? And and get talking to people about that. And then the and then the, the further thing is about mentoring. So I really believe in like either getting involved with schools or getting involved if you work in a business, setting up something internally to mentor and develop those young people in your business, because you know, you will get so much from it. And, and the people that you can change lives through it, you know, just by that little bit of extra time, if you can put that in, you know, if it's an hour a month, but if you're really giving that time and that focus to help develop someone so that they come on, you know, and that they come on through the ranks, that, that level of caring and thoughtfulness and those small things is how if we all did that in every business and went into every school, can you imagine what the Manchester tech sector and those next generations would look like coming up? You know, when I was at school, all I was doing, Zach, was messing around with Darren Duffy in the class. Not, you know, we weren't doing any work. He's one of Zach's best mates and he was my mate at school. Not doing any work. I didn't really understand what my opportunity could have been, you know. And it's only through later in life, realising that it's okay to be who you are, you know, work hard, have the right attitude, and there are opportunities for everyone. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that entirely. I think, you know, this, the, the, the whole school thing, like you say, you know, when we grew up, you really didn't know, you really did later, you made the point of doing the shredding, you know, making the bruise, that's what it is. To be honest, it was two weeks off school, it was a bit of a dos, and you went back and told your mates about it, and that was about it, so... Um, but Kate, it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. Um, I wouldn't have expected anything less from an energy from you anyway. Um, but yeah, thank you, Kate. Thank you, John. For all our listeners, um, we'll be uh, releasing the episode very soon. If you do want to find out anything more or want to come on the show or want to discuss any particular topic, please drop us a line on our LinkedIn page or message myself or John directly. Thanks once again. Thanks for having me. Thank you.